All right, welcome to RUF, especially you step singers uh, that have been uh, doing step sing. We're glad you're back. Uh, one quick announcement. On the table, on the way out, the round table, there is a prayer box. We actually do believe in prayer in this ministry. And so if you have a prayer request, please fill out this card. You can keep it confidential. Um, there's also a place on the website for you to submit a prayer request. Again, that could be confidential or public, but we want to pray for you. And so if there's things that we can uh, be in prayer about uh, that you have going on, please fill that out. We would love to do so. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Some of you are going, what? I thought we were studying Acts. We are. We are taking a break tonight in our study of the book of Acts to really talk about a passage that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, This passage has challenged me over the last couple of months. Uh, This passage has kept me up at night. It is somewhat frightening, as you're going to see as we study this passage. And so for those, if this is your first time back from step sing, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, because this is a tough passage, and it v- is very challenging uh, to us. And so uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. It happened while I was in seminary. I'll never forget it for as long as I live. I was sitting in an Old Testament class. I was talking about this illustration earlier this week with uh, a student and it reminded me of this story that really fits perfectly with what we're talking about tonight. But I was in an Old Testament class. My professor was Dr. Richard Pratt and somewhere near the end of the class he looked at us, a room full of Master of Divinity students, and he said, some of you aren't going to make it. And so we're thinking, What do you mean we're not going to make it? You're going to fail all of us? You're going to fail some of us? We're not going to graduate from seminary? What are you talking about? And he spoke to our question and said, You think I'm talking about graduating from seminary, but I'm talking about the Christian life. Some of you are going to drift away from Jesus. We're stunned. And everybody's thinking, Nah, no way. And then he goes on and say, in fact, five to ten of you will drift away from Jesus. And he said, you still don't believe me. So he goes out and he gets this portrait of the graduating seminary class. He just picked kind of a random year and the classes are pretty small in seminary. And so you have this portrait, he's holding it up and he begins to circle faces of people that are no longer walking with Jesus. Some have just drifted away from the faith. Some have rejected it. Some have got involved in some gross sin and become hardened. And I have to tell you that I'll never forget that day. It was actually kind of disturbing for me. I mean, how does this happen? I mean, here we are studying the Bible, learning about Jesus going to be ministers of the gospel, and yet he's saying five to ten will fall away. How does that happen? We see most people that shipwreck their faith, they don't wake up one morning and say, 
I think I'm going to reject Jesus today. They don't wake up or have some dramatic event or look back on single, one single wrong choice. No. What happens is they slowly but surely drift away from Jesus and they end up in a place that they never thought they would be. Why was Dr. Richard Pratt telling us that story? Because he was trying to encourage us the, the need to persevere in the Christian life and to finish strong and to always pay attention and to always be on guard against sin and evil. The writer of Hebrews is doing the exact same thing. You see, the Hebrew church, the people that he's writing to, are struggling. They have wandered off course. They are drifting away from Jesus, and he's trying to get them back on track. And so the passage that we're going to look at tonight is really a vivid picture of the danger of spiritual drifting. Follow along with me as I read Hebrews Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is God's holy and inspired word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Notice he says, pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us? We desperately need your Spirit. Father, some of us in this room are drifting. And we need you to come and to shake us out of our slumber. And to rescue us and get us back on track. Father, help us to see how dangerous it is to drift, but also show us the great solution to the problem, and that is Jesus. Father, help us tonight. Rebuke us, correct us, and train us. In Jesus' name, amen. I recently heard a story about two hikers. One was an experienced hiker, and one was an invited guest who didn't really know anything about hiking at all. They were making their way to the Selway Bitterroot Wilderness. Anybody ever heard of that? It's actually a one million acre wilderness that runs along the border of Idaho and Montana. Its snow-capped mountains actually stay snow-capped until August. And at the top, in the mountains, there are a hundred lakes perfect for fishing and catching monster trout. 
These two hikers were on their way up this eight-mile hike up the mountain. They reached 7,000 feet. The temperature begins to drop. The wind starts to pick up. And then the rain begins to pour down out of the sky. The guest not the experienced hiker, starts to reach for his water bottle. And as he does, he fumbles the water bottle. And then he starts to giggle. And the experienced hiker knew right away what was happening. Hypothermia was setting in. And it was a dangerous situation. You see, hypothermia is a condition of a steady but incremental drop in the body's core temperature that eventually gets so low that it's virtually unstoppable and will lead to death unless the body is put before before some external heating source in order to warm it back up. The writer in the book of Hebrews, I tell you that story because that is what the writer in Hebrews is doing. He is writing to a church that is suffering spiritual hypothermia. In other words, their spiritual temperature was in decline, and it was an emergency. It was a serious situation. You see, the author was writing to the Hebrew church, but he's also writing to us tonight, isn't he? Because you see, if we're honest, most of us in this room at some degree, would say that our spiritual temperature is in decline. We've lost our first love, as Revelation says. We're neither hot nor cold spiritually. We're simply lukewarm. Jesus has grown cold. Our communion with him has grown stale. And our commitment to holiness has become lax and obedience has become a drag. We are experiencing spiritual hypothermia. And the question before us tonight is how do we prevent that? How do we stop it when it seems to be declining at such a rapid rate that we can't control it? Well, the passage answers the question for us. If you're following along with me on an outline on the back of the announcement sheet, you see the first point is we need to pay pay more careful attention. Look at verse 1. Pay careful attention? No. The writer doesn't say that. Pay more careful or much closer, the ESV says, attention. What does this imply? Well, think about it. It implies that what we might think is adequate attention is not enough. We must pay much closer attention, he's saying. And it's easy to miss, but look back at verse 1. Notice that the author also uses the word we. He doesn't say you pay careful attention. We frightening. Absolutely frightening to me. Why? This is a writer of the holy, inspired Word of God 
that is writing and saying that he too is susceptible to drifting. No one, not pastors, not professors, not seminary professors, not the elders or deacons in your church, not even me, the campus minister, no one is immune to spiritual drifting. It is that subtle, friends. Look again at verse 1. The author, notice he uses nautical language and it's found in the word drift. The word suggests here is the image of a ship that is, has broken away, its anchor has broken away from the seabed and it's drifting dangerously out into the sea. What are, they, what are we drifting from? Look at verse 1. From what we have heard. He's saying that we are drifting from a message that we have received. What is the message? Look at verses 3 and 4. The message is the gospel. The greatness of our salvation. In short, spiritual drift is a drift away from Jesus. So what, what must a boat do in order to drift? Well, the same thing that you do to drift away from Jesus. Absolutely nothing. You see, that's the scary part. The scary part of this passage is that you get the sense that it's a passive process. It's not a result of something that you do, but rather drifting is a result of something that you stop doing, of something that you don't do. You stop paying attention. And if it goes unnoticed for too long, you are drifting way out into the sea. You've all experienced this. You've all probably been to the beach, spring break, during the summer with your family. You put out your towel, you put out the umbrella or your beach chair, and you go out into the water to cool off and to swim. And you're riding the waves, you're having the time of your life. And then a few minutes later, you look up and you're like, where did my towel go? <laughs> Where's my condo? You have drifted so far down the ocean that you can't even see your beach chair. And here's the, the thing, is the scary part is, is that you're having the time of your life and you don't even notice that you're drifting down the ocean and down the beach. That's exactly what the author is saying about spiritual drifting. We're often clueless that it's even happening, but we're being dragged away and sucked away by this current. And that's why we need to pay attention. No, pay much closer attention. You know, hypothermia comes with signs. If you know anything about hypothermia, you know that if you start to have hypothermia, you begin to experience what is known as the umbles. You start to mumble because you can't think straight. Then you start to fumble because your hands no longer work and you can't hold on to things. Or you start to stumble because there's no oxygen 
rushing and getting into the muscles in your legs and so they can't hold you up and so you start to stumble around. And the point is that drifting, yes, it's subtle, but it does come with signs. There are some warning signs that you might be experiencing hypothermia, spiritually speaking. Signs that you might be drifting. Here are a few of the signs. We could talk a lot about this, but I'm going to name three signs. First of all, lukewarmness. You're hot. You're neither hot. You're neither cold spiritually. You're simply lukewarm. Have you become so familiar with the Bible? Have you become so familiar with truth and theology that you start to say things like this. I know that stuff. I don't need to listen tonight. I don't need to listen to what he's saying in Sunday school. I grew up with this. I know my theology. They don't need to... There's nothing really I need to learn. What do you, if I ask you right now, how are you looking at this moment with me up here preaching? Is this just me talking? Or is there something more going on? If you think it is just simply me talking, you have hypothermia. It's already set in. When you open up the Bible... What do you think you're opening up? Do you think you're opening up God's holy, inspired word that is his message and his word to his people? Or do you think it's simply just an old book? If it's just an old book to you, then you're in trouble. You're drifting. What are some other signs of spiritual hypothermia? Lack of holiness. Lack of concern to fight against sin. How do you see your sin? Do you see it as a mistake? Do you see it as a shortcoming? Or do you see it as an assault against a holy God? Do you see it as an assault against your Creator? Have you said in the last eight weeks, or even shorter, the last month, it's not that big a deal? Come on. Internet pornography, lying, cheating, plagiarizing. Is it really that big a deal? I mean, it's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting me. Is it really... That big a deal. Besides, you know, come on. Everybody's doing it. Sin is an assault against God. And if we don't believe that tonight, then we are in danger of spiritual hypothermia. If you are a person who doesn't actively fight against sin, mark my words, sin will suck you under and you will be out to sea so far that you can't think straight and your spiritual temperature will begin to drop. What about busyness? That's another sign that you're experiencing spiritual hypothermia. 
Are you so busy, so overwhelmed with life and the things that you're involved in that you have simply just pushed out Jesus? Do you consistently, and again, hear the word consistently. I'm not saying always, because there are times when you do need to study. But do you consistently choose studying? Choose to spend time in the library, in homework, over praying, over reading your Bible, over going to church, over going to things like RUF. If so, more than likely you are in spiritual decline. Do you know your currents? Do you know the tides that are dragging you away from Jesus? Are you paying attention to your life and the things that are going on? Do you see the warning signs of spiritual hypothermia? I know my currents. And there are more than one. Do you know yours? I hope you do. How do we prevent spiritual hypothermia? First, we take or pay more careful attention. Secondly, we heed the warning. Look at verses 2 and 3. Now listen, the author here is not calling into question the assurance of our salvation. No, RUF believes that if you are a child of God, you can never, and the Bible teaches, you can never be snatched out of his hands. Once saved, if you're truly saved, you're always saved. However you want to say that. That's not what he's talking about here. What the author is talking about, he is saying that it is possible for someone to be a Christian, someone to go to church, to be involved in RUF and other great activities, but yet be one who neglects the greatness of salvation. This is the first of several warnings. If you read the book of Hebrews, this is the first of several warnings that he gives in this book. And the first one is given in the argument from the lesser to the greater. Follow along with me in those verses 2, 3, and 4. The author here is contrasting the revelation in the Old Testament on Mount Sinai when God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, with the revelation that came in Jesus Christ. And here's what he's saying. That at Mount Sinai, God gave us the law, the Ten Commandments, and if you break those or reject those, what happens? You receive punishment. And he's saying, if that is true then how much more will you be punished for rejecting the gospel? John Calvin says that it's not only the rejecting of the gospel, but it's also the neglecting of the gospel. Did you hear that? Not only the rejecting of the gospel, but the neglecting of the gospel that deserves the severest penalty. Do you feel the weight of what is going on in this passage? If you're here tonight and you're not a believer in Jesus, you need to understand that this is a sin of the church. The writer is not concerned here 
with people that have never heard or are rejecting Jesus. The concern is not for them, but the concern is for people that neglect it or ignore it. That is who he's concerned with. The concern is for people who say, nah, whatever. It's not that big a deal. I don't really care. That's not who he's, that's who he's writing to. He's not writing to people that say no and shake their fist at God in his face. He's writing to the people who say, whatever. The concern is for one's attitude. The concern is for the one who no longer is concerned with the greatness of Jesus. The one who is no longer concerned with Christ. And so they have just let Christ slip through their fingers and slip away. He's calling and writing to the person who's no longer moved by the cross. Who looks at Jesus on the cross and Him hanging there for your sin and it does nothing to Him. That is who He's writing to. Is that you? Do you hear the warning in this passage? Look at verse 3. How can we escape punishment if we neglect such a great Savior? Do you hear the warning tonight? If the warning simply goes in one ear and out the other... Or if you just walk out these doors and you don't think about this again, you are suffering from spiritual hypothermia. You see, the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to persevere. That's one of the purposes for the warning. But he's also trying to shake us out of our slumber. The writer is basically grabbing us by the collar and saying, Wake up! How's your spiritual life? Are you listening? That's what the author is doing here. Are you listening? Are you heeding the warning? How do we prevent spiritual hypothermia? We heed the warning. We pay much closer attention. And then we bask in the sun. Look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It's amazing to me, but this book... If you notice, it it starts different than any other book in the New Testament. If you look at any other New Testament book, here's the way it'll start, nine times out of ten. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the church at blank, at Ephesus, at Philippi, at whatever. But that's not what happens here. There's no greeting. It's boom, Jesus who he is, and what he's done. Look at that. Why? Because it's that serious. It's an all-out, four-alarm emergency. He is saying these people have hypothermia, spiritually speaking, and death is around the corner if something doesn't happen now. They need help now. And so it's if he rushes them into the emergency room and he holds up Jesus and says, here's the solution. It's amazing. Look at chapter 1. 
You see, the writer's counter for spiritual hyperthermia is to hold up Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 1. Please look with me. Jesus is the final word of God. Verse 2. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of some things. No, of all things. Verse 3. Jesus is the ultimate priest that is seated in heaven. Verses 4 through 14. Jesus is superior to the angels. Then look at chapter 2, verse 1. Notice the phrase to pay much closer attention again. That's actually made up of two words in the original language that mean this. To wholeheartedly attach yourself or to furiously obsess over a message that we've heard. Do you see it? You see what the writer is saying? He's saying that we need to wholeheartedly attach ourselves or furiously obsess over the gospel. We need to furiously obsess over Jesus because that is the cure for spiritual hypothermia. That's the whole book of Hebrews. Read it. If you read it, you'll see Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than, Jesus is the anchor that holds us in the storm, and on and on. And why is he doing that? He's trying to get us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to recapture our hearts with the beauty of Christ because he's telling us that Jesus is greater than anything that we even think about trading him in for. Remember the two hikers? The experienced hiker and the guest hiker that were climbing the Bitterroot Mountains. Well, you know, the experienced hiker knew that hypothermia was setting in because the man starts to fumble his water bottle and starts to mumble and laugh and giggle. And he knew that it was serious and that if he didn't get to an external heating source, that death was almost certain. And so you can imagine how ecstatic the experienced hiker was when the rain stopped and the sun began to burst through the clouds. And when the sun began to burst through the clouds, the experienced hiker grabbed the other hiker and he grabbed him in the chest and he threw him against the rocks and he says, Don't move, just bask. Just sit there in the sun and let the light and the heat warm you up. And sure sure enough, their temperature began to rise. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The solution for spiritual hypothermia, this is what he's doing to us. He's throwing us against the wall and he's saying, don't do anything. Just bask in Jesus. And what he's done. And who he is. You know, it's amazing. If you read through the book of Hebrews, here's this community struggling, dying spiritually, and there's not one command. Read it. For these people to buck up, try harder, get involved in more spiritual activities. Read it and you don't find it anywhere. Why? Well, because the solution of Hebrews is not moralism, but it's the gospel. It is Jesus. You see, moralism says, 
Try harder, work harder, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and be more disciplined. And moralism does nothing but produce burnouts and dropouts. I've seen it, I've been there. It almost wrecked my faith. Why? Because you can never do enough. How do you know when you've done enough? And you end up get, being miserable because you work yourself to death and you end up hating Jesus, hating the Christian life, and hating other Christians, and you end up burning out, and then you end up just throwing it all away and giving up. The gospel says that we need to draw near again to Jesus. The gospel says that we need to bask in Jesus, and as one pastor says, we need to let the gospel burn us healthy. We need to see again, afresh, the mercy and the grace of Christ. We need to see again, afresh, God's unconditional love. We need to see His patience with us. We need to see how gently He bears with us. In our weakness, we need to see his forgiveness. We need to see Jesus hanging on the cross for our sin once and for all so that we'll quit beating ourselves up for something that's happened in the past. How in the world can we ever neglect such a great Savior? Are you experiencing spiritual hypothermia tonight? Is your spiritual life declining as we speak? Chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews says if that's happening, we need to heed the warning. We need to pay much closer attention. But thirdly, and most importantly, we need to bask in the sun. We need to draw near to Jesus. Why? Because that's the cure for spiritual hypothermia. Let's pray.